0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com Namaste and good evening to all of you. Tonight in the satsang, I will start the series by talking a little bit about karma yoga because it's a very important subject, which is often misunderstood. I also am in the middle, with the satsangs, I'm in the middle of the process of commenting some of the traditional texts of Hatha Yoga. Last season I did approximately half of a great text of Hatha Yoga called the Geranda Samhita, and um, I will continue this season. I want to finish commenting that text. I somehow found out that the first satsang, which I do after, (coughs) in the new year, starting with this season, I wouldn't just start by resuming the Garanda Samhita from where I left it. I want to make a couple of satsangs on some spiritual topics. For example, (coughs) for the next week, I would like to talk a little bit more about the function the role of the heart chakra in the spiritual evolution and in the spiritual practice of the human being. So I will take a few of the topics which are touching the actual practice, what we are doing here. And the first which came up is talking a bit about karma yoga, getting a bit of extra understanding of this fascinating form of yoga outside of the lecture. Here in Agama you are getting a lecture in the first level and then of course for those who are interested there are a few opportunities if you volunteer to do something to do some service but for the rest it's like this subject is not coming up again and again and actually it's a very important subject for a very simple reason. As long as we live in a physical body and as long as we live in the physical world, we act. We act constantly. And this action can be our undoing because any action which is done without consecration, any action which is done not like karma yoga, is automatically an action which will produce karma. And karma, bad or good, bitter or sweet, is the chain which keeps us connected to this reality. So anybody who actually nourishes the hope that one day I want to reach enlightenment, preferably in this lifetime, that I want to reach a spiritual realization in this lifetime, you may never forget that one of the angles, either from Buddha or from great yogis, one of the angles which is brought to the process of enlightenment like what is enlightenment one of the angles which is brought to it is precisely this that enlightenment and the state of moksha or mukti the state of liberation which derives from it is a state where one becomes freed from karma so ultimately karma is the measure of everything we often talk about the fact that if people have a karma, or don't have a karma, or how much karma, or where is that karma, and that is why this is a measure, it is a real important measure of all things. That is why dealing with karma, especially as long as you don't live like Milarepa or like Saint Mark of Ethiopia, that means as long as you don't spend 30, 40 years isolated from the world, and not interacting with anybody as long as most of you are 20th and 21st century yogis and you are spiritual seekers who sometimes go into retreats intensives and then you also have something to do in this world i've seen very few people in modern yoga who actually cut off completely from the world and they went and locked themselves into an ashram or they went into a Buddhist monastery and separated completely from the world and its concerns. I have, I've had lots of disciples, lots of pupils, and I know that all of them sometimes had to interact with the world. They're with one foot in the world and with one foot in the spiritual practice. And this is a modern way of doing spiritual search. Like 500 years ago, the yogis were going and building themselves a hut in the jungle. And they, then they did yoga from morning till evening. And they didn't need to have a salary. They didn't need to have savings. They didn't need to have an income. They could live out of begging. And they would live at the lowest limit of modesty. But they, on the other hand, had their mind free from doing their spiritual practice. These people were not surfing on internet, were not emailing with friends, or not watching the news, were not reading magazines. They were not clubbing, going to dinners or potlucks or things like this. These people were immersed 100% in what they did. The conditions have changed, agreed. I myself have learned yoga while being a young man in parallel with, Unfolding university degrees, university studies in engineering. And because of that, I have a direct experience of what it means to do spiritual practice, but at the same time to have to put up with some of the things of the world, try to ride on two horses, to try to have a foot in one world and a foot in the other, be it for security reasons or others. I remember after I had done a year or two of yoga, I was even telling to my yoga teacher from that time, I was thinking that the best thing to do would be to somehow get hold of a hut in the forest, somewhere in the mountains, 20 kilometers from anyone else, and just go there alone and practice non-stop. And uh, on the other hand, he he was right that was happening in Romania in the communist times and he said try to think about what the reaction of the family would be try to think about what the reaction of the authorities and of the state would be when you do that you know it's like maybe people living in some capitalist country they have the freedom to do whatever they want but in those days we didn't really have the freedom to do that and basically he simply said, At least you have to stay in the world out of fear of trouble, if nothing else. Like going into such a retreat will cause enormous trouble upon you and others around you, including me as your yoga teacher, because people will think that I instigated you to go in the loneliness and to leave your university and to leave the family and to leave everything. And then there would be dire consequences. Of many kinds which of course in those years they could actually be and that's what I'm saying here I have been compelled in my own in my own time to live in the world and that's why I know one thing for sure if you don't manage to make your life a yoga then great um, great advantages great progress is not really possible It's not easily possible. In the moment when, you know, on half of my life or one-third of my life or one-eighth of my life, I spend it doing yoga, and then eight hours per day I spend them into an obligatory job. When I grew up in the communist times, not only that there did not exist unemployment, but actually the communists had it completely the other way around. If you were without a job, You're supposed to go to the work office and declare that you have no job. And the work office would do anything in their power to get you a work, whichever work that would be, within three months, because anybody who stayed without having a job for three months could be put in prison for being a vagabond. This was an article of the law that if you have no job, then you are a vagabond. Everybody had to work. It was compulsory to work. There was nobody without a job in those days and therefore being in this situation i myself have been in the university very few of you know i even worked for 3 years as an engineer in an electric design machine tool factory and so on simply because it was not possible i lived the yogic life and i experienced states of samadhi and i did yogic practice tantric practice meditation and a lot of other things i studied a lot and experienced a lot and You know, went through a lot of things. At the same time, having to keep like a smoke screen the appearance of some fairly normal social life, including with having an eight-hour job and uh, more than that, six days per week, eight-hour job, which the communists sometimes extended to Sundays. So it was, you know, to make the communism blossom faster and better. People were asked sometimes to sacrifice their Sundays and to work on Sunday to kind of boost the thing. So, we're talking about seven days per week, eight hours per day type of job, which I unfolded, and that did not prevent me from doing yoga or from doing other things. Why? That was simply because of karma yoga. If there would not have existed karma yoga, if this revelation wouldn't have been done, it would have been fairly impossible for me and for many others to do. The, my only solution would have been to run away in some Indian jungle in the Himalayas and do yoga like Milarepa. But that was not possible. And as you know your lives today, you all of you know that that's not really possible for most of you today. Not to mention that for some of you it is extreme and scary and you don't even have that plan because some of you do not have as purpose this Uh, extreme radical way of going all the way in a short time some of you are still testing yoga you are dipping your baby toe into this field of yoga and you haven't taken any radical decisions about how you want to live your life what you want to do with your life and all those things in these conditions karma yoga becomes fantastic because karma yoga is the only thing outside of technical yoga it is still technical to make tantric sexuality because we are talking about kundalini rising and sublimation of energy it is still technical of course to do hatha yoga laya yoga and a lot of the other things it is even technical to sing kirtan and bhajan and to do bhakti yoga to do devotional practices or prayer or whatever you do so ultimately All the yogas are something technical, like you go in a place, you sit down, or you stand up, or whatever you do, and you do this, and you do this, and you do that. Karma yoga is the only place, the only thing in this world, which allows to spiritual practitioners to do mundane things, and at the same time to have them accounted as spiritual practice. That is an absolutely amazing opportunity, For people who live in the world, because living in the world, it's not possible that you don't get to do something here or there, and that something which you do here or there is creating karma, and it also is definitory for the resonance in your life. Try to think: I'm doing practice of yoga, and I'm reading some Swami Shivananda, and I'm doing some hatha yoga, and I'm doing some meditation, and my uh, my job is that I have to earn my daily bread by working eight hours per day in an office for shell oil. Or I work in a psychiatric ward of a mental hospital. Or I work in a slaughterhouse, even if I'm not the person who does the slaughtering itself, I am the accountant in the slaughterhouse, but still I work in that building, in that place, in that business. That means there would be lots of people who would be working in places, and I'm doing yoga for 20 years, and I work in that place for 20 years because that place is my, the place where I'm making my bread, where I'm earning my daily bread. And then eventually, when I have done 20 years of yoga and I look back at my life, it looks like I'm schizophrenic. It looks like I'm split. It's like I have a double life. Half of my life, I sell my ojas, I sell my energy, I sell my blood to some capitalistic company who is squeezing me like a lemon and half of my life I'm dreaming of going enlightened and escaping from all this. It, it feels like I'm a little bit inconsistent. Like everybody would say, you know, if I would see a Christian monk, like a man like Padre Pio, let's say, who is like a Christian saint, reputed as a saint at least, and if I would see Padre Pio in his spare time being part-time monk, and in his spare time having a little... Daba, a little desk where he's selling condoms and uh, I don't know what, you know, lollipops. I would ask myself, like, what the heck of a spiritual practitioner is this, you know? He is in his church and he's doing his prayers and his mass, and then he has to put some bread on his table, and he's selling lollipops and condoms because he has to make some business. Or he's selling silver jewelry in a rock concert, in a rock festival. I'm saying this. Because many of our people do that—they buy silver from Thailand, they go to their country, and they sell it throughout rock festivals or other events like this. You know? it's like—is this a con—is this the same person? You no, know, like I would expect that Swami Shivananda, when he is not doing yoga, he is doing something wonderful. I would expect that Padre Pio, when he is not praying or serving the mass, he is doing something wonderful which is consistent, convergent with what he does when he prays and when he serves the mass. Like he is supposed to be one whole person, not a split person that has one aspect like this, one aspect like that. That's why many people who do spirituality, they actually have this longing, you know, I would like to have some activity in this world, and I would like that my activity in this world should be able to be consistent with everything else which I do what if I am a thief you know theft if you are a very very smart thief it can be easy money and you do some consecration or some karma burning on the third eye and you think you are even getting away with the karma of committing theft and you are making a little theft now and then and you have enough money to stay in your bungalow in Copangan no, live a relatively cheap lifestyle and then you no, it's like you can do anything like this, but where is the consistency? Not to mention that people who are of integrity, they say, okay, I'm coming to Agama or I'm going to Shivananda's ashram or someplace, and I'm learning spiritual knowledge which is salvational, and with that spiritual knowledge which is salvational, then I'm trying to do something wonderful, like, you know, I want to give something back even if I don't give it back to Shivananda, but I want to give it back to the world. Like I have learned about yoga. I had problems with my stomach. If I would have continued, maybe I would have got a cancer in my stomach 10 years later because things were not looking good at all. And now that I know that I'm not getting cancer in my stomach, even because I can do Vamana Dauti five times per week or some elementary things which still save the day completely, no, then I want to give something to the world. I want to let everybody know that I was almost having a cancer in my stomach and yoga has worked for me, so it could work for you. No, that simply means, and if I don't do that, like that means, okay, so we should teach. Not necessarily that you teach, but you can facilitate it in one way or another. You can be a person who builds an institution, who is organizing some courses. It is not necessary that everybody is talented to be a teacher themselves, but it's not only teachers in this world. There are many other people who are doing beneficial things. So the question is, of course, what kind of beneficial thing do you think of doing? Because you know, when you look back after 30 years of having worked for Shell Oil, you find out like okay, this was a sort of a prostitution, it was a sort of a I was pushed against the wall. I was all my life afraid not to have a job. I was all my life afraid that I will not have food for tomorrow. I'm a person who is very sensitive to financial and material security, and I can't live without it. It makes me feel very unsettled and very, uh, you know, insecure. And because of that, basically, I had to sell my soul. I had to do whatever I had to do. I found this job. I found that job, and I did then the question is, isn't karma yoga better? Because everybody is trying to do something else. Let's look at another aspect of this. As since not everybody is merit intellect or Milarepa or some Tibetan Lama that does yoga from dawn till dusk, then the question is, what am I doing? Because I can do two hours of yoga per day, some good practitioners say i can do four hours of yoga per day some brilliant yoga practitioners can say i can up it to eight hours per day the question is that eight hours per day of yoga and eight hours of day for sleep still leaves another eight hours in the day where you are not just sitting spinning your thumbs something is happening you give one two hours of those to your eating habits what else? You give another hour to cleaning, laundry, and so on. Still, still, there will be as much as you want to extend it. If you don't put any trite, useless activities on the timetable, you can demonstrate that there will always be a few extra hours. Even when you do yoga like a machine, eight hours per day, still there is something. Like people don't just stay. People do things. People act. And everybody wants to act. To make a difference you No, know, like people say i've discovered yoga and i like it or i've discovered tantra and i think it has been useful to me and it will be really useful to a lot of other people or people you know discover different other aspects of spirituality you know philosophical metaphysical thinking you know people today watch too much mtv and drink too much coca-cola and they are like zombies you know they have no philosophy no metaphysics their philosophy is just a pragmatical caricatural ridiculous primitive thing no but who who sits and lives according to an ideal no in when i was a kid there were broadcastings in the romanian television which were called a life for an idea where they presented different scientists and artists and that was the title of that show an, a life for an idea like There have been so many great men and women who lived a life for an idea, like Albert Einstein or Albert Schweitzer or Mahatma Gandhi or Nikola Tesla or like you name it, scientists, artists, and so on. They lived a life for an idea. They wanted that their life should send a message, that their life should express something. Maybe they didn't do it voluntarily and deliberately, but because they were so fascinated by what was at the other end of the rainbow, that they did it anyway, even without thinking that, wow, when I will die, people will look with awe at my life, and they will say, how did this man or this woman have so much focusing, so much commitment to what they were doing there? Everybody wants in a certain way this. No, you ask people, what do you want to do? And everybody says, I want to be happy. But how are you going to be happy? No, because we know that many things don't make us happy. You learn that in our lectures about Santosha and others. What really creates happiness? So the point is, everybody wants to do something. And more than just to earn your living or to ensure your financial security, that's a reactive way of living. You live out of a reaction to your insecurity and fear, Fear is pressing you in a corner and you say, I have to do this. Not really. If you take charge, you don't really have to. There are so many other ways of doing things. And you can always see smart people doing different things in different ways. And that's why I'm saying the whole point is that especially for spiritual people who come to a yoga school and so on, when they discover something beautiful, something is going on in their heart and they say, I would like to share this. I would like to do something about this. If I discover astrology, I would like to practice astrology. If I'm discovering, uh, why not even Thai massage as associated with yoga, I would like to do that or I would like to teach that or I would like to facilitate that or something because I have seen 20 people who benefited vastly from it. And that's why the, the bottom line is that even people who come in a holiday place like this, They have subconsciously somewhere, they have a bad feeling if they are not making themselves useful in some way. I want to do something. I'm not just wanting to go there and pay 300 baht and take some papers and participate to a few courses and learn something about the headstand or something. And then maybe I do it at home. Maybe I'm lazy and I'm not doing it at home. It's not working like this. People actually want to make themselves useful and they don't want to work for shell oil. They want to do something which is beneficial. It is, I remember once having a discussion with our general manager, and he said, You know, people invented business formulas and franchisings and all sorts of brilliant things in business, and all the business in this world can do since John Ford produced his automobiles is to franchise shit. Like things which are Shell Oil, Ford, General Electric stuff like they get franchised all the time and they get but can't somebody franchise something spiritual you know it's like can't somebody do a work to actually propagate something spiritual in this world people can make themselves useful in that way people can discover beautiful things this is where karma yoga is starting I look back at my life and uh, I, I don't really say that I did karma yoga Like I remember when I opened my first independent yoga center, I was living in Denmark at that time, I was doing everything. I was running on a bicycle and putting posters in town. I was cleaning the windows. I was vacuum cleaning. I was doing this. I was typing the courses. I was teaching the courses. I was talking to the people. I was organizing Sunday open house. And like I was doing everything because there was nobody else and I didn't feel tired, I didn't feel exhausted. I still had time to go to the National Library and to spend four hours per day scoring the National Danish Library, the Royal Danish Library for rare yoga books, for esoteric texts and whatever treasures they could have had there. And I did find some amazing stuff. You always can find amazing stuff when you give time and energy. And therefore, and I was not feeling today when I look back at that time, It's one of the brilliant times of my life like I felt full of energy and full of enthusiasm and doing a lot of stuff and I was working not six days per week I was working seven days per week I I just stopped during the night and in the night I did my yoga of the lucid dreaming and other things like that like I never really stopped and all the activity which I did was karma yoga but I didn't even call it karma yoga you don't even need to call it karma yoga Ultimately, I called it my life. This is my life. This is what I do. I don't even bother to call it karma yoga because I'm enthusiastic about this thing. I want to know more. I want to do more. I want to give something. Therefore, I'm doing it. And thus, what I'm trying to say is that to me, looking at life and looking at the people that I have known in my life, the most successful karma yogis were the people who didn't even consider it karma yoga. They simply said, now I have some time, and if I just sit, I can either practice some yoga, but if I already did practice my yoga today, then I'm going to just sit and spin my thumbs. And I don't want to sit and spin my thumbs, you know, I want to do something. What can I do? And thus, I felt that it is imperiously necessary for people to Do karma yoga in the 20th century, in the 21st century. Especially all of you are catching again today yoga in this adapted way. In the old days you would go in the Himalayas and find a guru living in a cave. Today you are coming in this way and you all know that more or less you are interacting with the world. You are having bank accounts, internet accounts, jobs different things friends potlucks and all the rest of that and how is that going to interact with the yoga practice that's why um, i don't even consider that karma yoga is optional i think without karma yoga we in the modern times we can't live our lives properly and we should do karma yoga to such an extent that our life is karma yoga we simply do karma yoga all the time because we need to be active and when I need to be active I don't want to do something which I'll regret 30 years later and I'll say why did I do that it was such a waste of time it was such a stupid thing of me to do I want to do something which now when I look back at what I did at that time I mentioned Denmark as an example I'm not unhappy I'm actually very satisfied I think I did the right thing and I, I again I don't even call it karma yoga But technically, that's what it is called. Moreover, karma yoga, I think, fits very, very well in a tantric school. Because karma yoga, even without many Hindu teachers realizing it, metaphysically and philosophically, is a tantric form of yoga. Because the non-tantric forms of yoga, as well as the non-tantric forms of Hinduism, Buddhism, and other spiritualities, they start always from the premises that this is a Valley of Tears. This is Maya, the terrible illusion. This is Samsara, the big boogeyman, or whatever it is. And if in Samsara or in Maya, I try to build a, I don't know, a skin hospital based on yogic things, basically I'm wasting my time looking too much into the Prakriti. I'm wasting my time. It's my attachment. I think, according to those people, I think that I'm going to make a difference in a world which makes no difference anyway. In a world which has to be flushed down the toilet anyway. In a world to which you have to turn your back and get out of it as soon as possible. It's exactly as I was saying this morning, funny synchronicity, because I talked a little bit about karma yoga things this morning. It's exactly as a person living in prison wants to escape from the prison, And then at the same time wants to paint the wall of his cell with some beautiful decorations before escaping from prison. It's like, why would you paint your cell when all you want is to get out of that prison? That's exactly what the non-tantric spiritualities say. They say, you know, this is a prison and you have to get out of it. And if you want to get out of it, how are you going, what are you going to do about the prison meanwhile? nothing pretty much nothing you are going to turn the back on it and to say i know you are an illusion i can't see it yet i'm still hypnotized by you a little bit but at least i know you are an illusion and i don't give a damn i don't give a dime on this illusion i don't care about it this is the vedantic way of thinking and other ultra ascetic ways of thinking in which there is only one thing to do you just turn the back to the whole thing and you go towards brahman because Brahman is the only real thing in the moment when you say before you reach enlightenment or after you reach enlightenment you can also create an ashram or a spiritual printing press or a canteen for the Babas like Shivananda did or I don't know an ashram or a university of yoga then automatically you are putting a value on this world you say this world is not completely insignificant and Completely to be discarded and shunned, this world is actually like it will make a difference. The fact that I spend four hours per day putting together a hospital for the eyes, like Shivananda did, an eye hospital based on the eye exercises from yoga mostly, at least in the beginning in its original idealistic form. Then, you know, I spend some time doing this. What do I care about the eyes of anybody in this world? When they are all going to be eaten by the worms a hundred years from now and they don't mean anything after all it's just a dream in a dream but karma yoga says actually if you do what mahatma gandhi did or if you do what shivananda did or so many others buddha who created the sangha which is resisting after 25 centuries still then you are actually doing something which makes a difference What difference does it make to Purusha, the transcendental spirit, Brahman, the fact that in the Maya there appears an extra hospital or an extra ashram, it makes no difference whatsoever. Not for the karma yogis. So the karma yogis are on the other side of the fence. The karma yogis are with those who think that what's happening in this world actually does have a causal influence. It produces some real effects. It produces some effects which are considerable, which are significant. It's not just a dream in a dream in which basically you wasted time and energy to build one more pyramid or one more Eiffel Tower or one more whatever other, you completely useless thing, which a million years from now, nobody is going to care much about. That's why karma yoga ultimately, is a tantric form of yoga because karma yoga treats the universe as being shakti and shakti is alive shakti is the mother of the universe shakti is real shakti is the consort of shiva shakti is 50 percent of the divine reality while shiva purusha the pure consciousness is the other 50 percent and then automatically shakti means something the non-tantric people they don't really believe in that That's why it's funny to see that even in ultra-ascetic, non-tantric environments of India, just to give an example, other places as well, even in the Thai Buddhism, if you want, and in others, people put an emphasis on service, on being of service, on doing things which Karma Yoga, basically. Like, didn't you just say that nothing really matters? And the only thing which matters is this absolute consciousness. That's the only real thing in this reality, in this universe. And all the rest is just a, a dream, a Fata Morgana, a, a, a delirium in, in the desert, you know. Like, why does it matter? That's why, please be aware of the fact that the man who came up with the first big karma yoga message was Krishna himself. He had a very controversial life for his time and many of his activities are typically Tantric activities, including his womanizing and apparent Tantric practices and other things, they are not non-Tantric. And then the same Krishna, who has this rather provocative life, he is coming and he is promoting Karma Yoga, not coincidentally. Of course, out of Svadhisthana, out of conformism, it sounds okay that spiritual people are supposed to be loving according to Jesus Christ or compassionate according to Buddha or whatever else according to other great teachers of humanity. And because a great uh, sp- a spirit, a great soul is supposed to be like that, then automatically uh, it means that a great spiritual person will have to do good, to be good, to be kind. to do. So we expect. That if Buddha is going to spend some time doing something, he's going to do something nice. That if Swami Shivananda is going to spend some time doing something in the world, it's going to be nice. I don't know if you realize that the way people think about this is very Svadistanistic. It's very conformistic. They imagine that people have to be like... That's why some great spiritual masters, they even went allergic to it. That's why in religion, in Christianity, Buddhism and others... You have, for example, crazy wisdom. People who were divine madmen. Like they walked on the street, and if people asked them questions or asked them for help, they answered in bizarre way. They started laughing and giggling insanely. They gave stupid uh, reactions. You know, sometimes they hit people even. They do something. And those people in some religions, both in Christianity and in Buddhism and in Hinduism, they were sometimes credited with being highly enlightened beings, but cultivating divine madness. Like, especially to show that whatever you think you know about an enlightened being is not true. Because out of Zvadhisthvanistic spirit, you are trying to get the enlightened being to conform to a pattern. Like, all enlightened beings have to be dressed in white and look like angels and speak very nice, soft words. But a man like Gurjiev, for example, he stood against this. He smoked, he drank, he ate meat, and many people say that he said he did it on purpose to kind of shock the world, to show that all these ideals that the enlightened being is a sweet person. It's complete nonsense. We find this crazy wisdom with crazy lamas like Chogyam Trungpa and others and others. I gave one of the most outstanding, shocking examples from modern Tibetan Buddhism in the 20th century. And the list continues. Like, there have been teachers like you know, Osho Rajneesh who were aiming to have 365 Rolls Royces, one for every day. Not because the Rolls Royce meant anything. When the Americans put him in prison for financial fraud, Rajneesh told them, I don't even know how the $1 bill looks. I've never held one in my hand. Like, what financial fraud? No? It's like, but you have 300 Rolls Royces. Yes, they are a donation from my rich disciples. You know, it's like... I couldn't care less. I'm driving a Rolls-Royce from my office to my yoga hall, which is about 150 meters inside the ashram. He was driving a Rolls-Royce from his Kuti to the yoga hall, no, to the conference hall. No. So basically, that's why I'm saying, these people specially sometimes do these things because there exists this belief that, oh, the enlightened human being, the spiritualized human being, the real guru, the real saint, has to be like this or like that. And the truth is, no, they don't. That's why this Karma Yoga is a very, very great ideal, and um, it fits very well in a tantric school, and it basically tells us this, this world and what we do in this world means something. I didn't like, I thought it was a very pretentious sentence, which they put in the... Cultish movie The Gladiator, the Russell Crowe movie when this guy said brothers remembers our deeds, our actions echo in eternity. It's not metaphysically true. That's just a bombastic Ridley Scott type of statement to produce goosebumps in the audience. Metaphysically it's not 100% uh, accurate because they don't echo in the eternity really. They produce karmic effects but the karmic effects are finite. They are not infinite. So you cannot talk about eternity. But on the other hand, to say that our deeds do have a causal efficiency and they correspond to something in the big picture where eternity also exists, there is Shiva there watching the whole show, dancing in the whole show, we could even say, then automatically this statement is true. That's why... I want always to incline people to ask themselves what do you want to do with your life how do you want to spend the next 30 years of your life okay many of you say I am in search of enlightenment or I am in search of a more clear consciousness I am in search of spirituality surely and that's wonderful and that's why you are here that's why I am here but the question is besides that are you going to do some other collateral things? Probably yes. Or are those things going to be part of yoga, part of your soul, part of your evolution, or are you going to live a split life like I said earlier? I remember the times when I started yoga. For me, my life was yoga 24-7. Like I was, I was lucky enough to have a great friendship. I was having a friend for whom I would I thought I would give my life like my feeling about the friendship was total and it was a blessing and I never felt alone I know that many of you when you start being spiritual you feel alone because actually you don't have friends or lovers or somebody I had this friend I could wake up in the middle of the night and talk to him about yoga. I could talk only about what was itching my heart. I had a big itch in my heart to talk about God, to hear more about spirituality, to learn more methods of spirituality. I would have talked and done and read and been into this all day long. And therefore, fortunately, even when I was interacting with people, I was doing that. Unfortunately, I had to go to the university from time to time to attend some courses and I was as usually some people would say I was late all the time and I was going as little as possible and I shirked as many courses as it was legally possible and I you know but I had to do it and that was something which was like my my moments of hell you know my moments of total boredom I was going to yoga courses and under the day de- I was going to university courses, and on my desk I was translating from Kama Sutra because my yoga teacher wanted a translation in from Kama Sutra. Or I was reading books about hypnotism or telepathy. Or like even when I was going to the university, I was it's a miracle I passed that university and I graduated from it because I lost completely all my interest into it. That's why my life was constantly I was so much in love with this subject that this subject was consuming my life for years and years and years and years I did not have a television connected to any network I didn't watch television for probably more than 20 something years at those days there was no internet like funnily now if you come to my house I do have a television and it is connected I can watch the BBC And sometimes I do, because I like to see how crazy the world is getting. But actually, you know, in those days, I wouldn't put my energy into anything whatsoever. I was just focusing. So that's why, again and again, I think that it is worthy for people to consider karma yoga, because since we cannot live in a cave and do yoga and meditation from morning till evening, we are going to do something else besides it and that something else besides it should not erode our yoga should not erode our determination the hatha yoga pradipika i think or one of these fundamental texts of yoga gives uh, reasons which are promoting your yoga like things which are helping your yoga and it gives things which are not helping your yoga and some of the reasons there are about eight things which can undermine your yoga practice. And one of them, just one of them, there are others similar to it, is contact with unyogic people. Like you do yoga, you want to be in touch only with yogis because they inspire you to do more yoga and to think like a yogi. You start meeting with people, no, a man is trying to practice sexual continence. He meets with his friends, all of them are ejaculating like sprinklers. Is he feeling inspired to hold his ejaculation and so on? He's not. He's actually slowly eroded, especially if he's in a difficult part and if his process of sexual continence is not working very well, something in his mind says, I think I'm a little bit stupid. All the guys in the gang are having a great time and they are spraying and they are very healthy and they feel very good. And I'm here sitting with pain in my testicles and trying desperately I'm not even a good lover anymore you know he feels discouraged the presence of his so-called friends is eroding his determination he's not really helped by it and that's why I'm saying all of you besides doing yoga being in Agama doing whatever you do you are doing many other things unfortunately perhaps if you would have lived in the Uttarkashi ashram of Swami Shivananda, you wouldn't have done anything else but yoga because it was a sort of a closed environment where that was being done. But of course, people don't do that. I have been in the monasteries of Mount Athos in Greece. I expected to find people praying from morning till evening and during the night. They were raising olive trees. They were they were raising goats. They were doing farming. They were as I told you once, you know, they were they were showing me they they made me repair their electric generator and they were preparing a new tractor they were they were happy that they acquired a new tractor like is this what you guys are doing in a monastery you are farming and tractoring and you know it's like aren't you aren't you supposed to be here especially in a place like Mount Athos which is supposed to be top of the top aren't you supposed to actually be praying non-stop no, they were not. It was one of the most spiritually tamasic places I've seen in my life. I, I slept 10, 11 hours per day when I was in that place because nobody was doing... If the people would have been in the church praying or doing some seminar of praying, I would have been there with them. They were not. Nobody was doing anything except menial jobs, chores. That's why I'm saying some of you will get to do other things than the spiritual practice, than those other things have to be karma yoga because if they are not karma yoga then you are dealing with self erosion you are eroding things from your own belief no you say there is I don't know what business thing and in that business thing you go on Manipura and you start practicing ancient Jewish or ancient Japanese philosophy your rival in business has to be stampeded and put out No, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Destroy your enemy when you can, because, you know, otherwise he will destroy you. And on the other hand, I'm trying to meditate on the heart chakra, on the message of Jesus, which says, forgive 70 times 7. The fact that in parallel with my heart chakra work, I have a business, which takes me into some manipuristic thinking, it's like it's making me split. There were monks and nuns who tried for a lifetime to get into Anahata Chakra, and from time to time they had temptations, like Seraphim of Sarov. Seraphim of Sarov was caught by two robbers who were trying to rub a monk, which shows immediately that this was something created by the demons, because there is no logic into it. Nobody would go in a Russian forest to catch a monk living alone in a hut or in a cave, and to rob him. To rob him of what? Because that guy didn't have anything. He was living like the poorest of the poorest. And so two thieves, two ruffians, are coming to rob Seraphim of Sarov. And Seraphim of Sarov is with an axe in his hand. They catch him while chopping wood because he was doing a bit of lumber striking. And he's chopping wood. He has an axe in his hand. And in front of him, two guys who really mean bad to him. And then Seraphim of Sarov, because he already had done probably five ten years of spiritual practice realizing that this was one of the tests one of the landmarks of his life because he could strike back no after all it's allowed for you to defend yourself we justify it by call it legitimate defense well seraphim of Sarov didn't practice legitimate defense he took the axe and he threw it down and those guys beat him so badly that they left him A little bit crippled he was partly crippled for the rest of his life during because of that beating which for him like if Seraphim of Sarov would have done half of his time business then he would have maybe fallen on Manipura much more easily he would have said after all all these jesus talk and so on it's a little bit idealistic and it's for the angels in heaven and down here i remember yesterday when i had to do that business you have to put your manipura into it and so on and then he would have said these guys just have to get a lesson from me and he would have given him the, them the axe like i'm trying to say when you do something else than your spiritual practice it's very dangerous that it will erode your spiritual determination your goals, your noble thoughts, because you are mixing with a lot of things. You are living with one foot in one thing and with the other foot in another thing. And then, automatically, what comes from this again is this great thought. Whatever we do, even if we do some business or something, it has to be done as a karma yoga. It's part of a greater karma yoga. If we don't consecrate it, if we don't think about it, in a term, in a terminology, which is noble, spiritual, committed, automatically it can erode our spiritual practice. That's why, again and again, the Kali, the Kali Yuga type of environment requires that Karma Yoga should be a constant practice in our lives. I mentioned Kali Yuga. The spiritual practitioner in Kali Yuga is not in a good place. If you are a monk, a Buddhist monk still in Thailand, at least they will give you your house and food, and they will honor you. There are places in the Bangkok subways which are painted like this is reserved for monks. So there is a certain amount of support, you can say. I remember one of our pupils here has a relative who is actually a foreigner monk, and this man got severely ill at some time and many many people immediately jumped to to pay his medical treatment like this man was a farang in thailand but he was a monk and his medical care was taken care by rich thai benefactors who were very admirative of the fact that this foreigner came to be a monk in thailand and they honored it support him they even heard that this man was having some other financial troubles from the life before and outside they even freely donated something to support this person like incredibly so there are situations in which spiritual practitioners even in Kali Yuga they may be a little bit supported but for the rest if you go back to your country even in India if you even if you go dressed in orange in India if you are a sadhu in the old days The sadhus of India, they could travel on buses, trains, or everything without a ticket. Because how can you ask for a sadhu to have money to pay a train ticket when they are meant not to have any money and to live at the mercy of the elements? So the society was supporting that. Now it's not valid. Now you cannot see babas traveling without a ticket. No, because simply the society has become more selfish, more secular, more skeptical, more cynical. And it's like, yeah, yeah, many of these monks and sadhus and so on, they are actually crooks, they are fake, they are phony, God knows what they do. In the, let them just pay like everybody else because you never know and so on. In Kali Yuga, it's very difficult to unfold the spirituality which is supported. Of course, it was extreme for me to grow up in a country which was communistic and which was rabidly against spiritual things by manifesto. By declared project but actually when I moved to the West I didn't see any improvement on that exception made the fact that you could do yoga there was no improvement on that and therefore what I'm trying to say here is in Kali Yuga the spiritual practitioner is not supported that's why very often the spiritual practitioner in Kali Yuga lives a life of an outlaw of a guerrilla fighter of a person that has to manage with the world, deal with the world in all sorts of ways, and that's why again and again karma yoga is necessary in many, many ways. So, not to make the story too long, because now I explain why, in a tantric way, in an existential way, I think karma yoga is without uh, any hesitation, it's inevitable. I would like to also share with you some of the quotes which I kept from some of the great yogis. Some, some of the very great yogis wrote things, and here are, first of all, some of these quotes. Swami Vivekananda of India describes the ideal of karma yoga as follows. The ideal human being is the one who, amidst the deepest silence and the biggest solitude, finds the most intense activity. And the one who amidst the most intense activity finds the silence and solitude of the desert. The karma yogi doesn't need to believe in any doctrine. He may not even believe in God. He may not ask himself what is the soul, and he may not be attracted by any metaphysical speculation at all. For some, Ramakrishna, his guru, on the other hand, said karma yoga is the spontaneous communion with God through action. And Sri Aurobindo, another fabulous yogi of 20th century India, he said the detached activity is very often the only necessary instrument for the ineffable union with the master of creation. And he also said to perform all activities in an intimate fusion and in profound communion with the divine which is in us, in profound harmony with the universal around us and with the transcendental beyond us, not to let us be limited by our often separating and rigid human mind, not to be the slave of its ignorant or aberrant imperatives and of its narrow suggestions, this is karma yoga. Swami Shivananda also said many people believe that karma yoga is an inferior type of yoga, but this is a great error. That's exactly what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna sums it up. He says it a couple of times and he sums it up with his famous formula where he says action is superior to inaction. Rather than doing this for God and for your spirit, rather than not doing it, rather do it. Do it. It's better for you to be sorry that you did it than for you to be sorry that you didn't do it. It's always action is superior to inaction. Rabindranath Tagore in his book of spiritual practice, Sadhana, says many of us wrongly think that action is opposing freedom. We'll never obtain a significant result by trying to reach the infinite outside of the domain of action. Like I'm sitting and I don't need to do. If we declare that we'd like to realize Brahman during introspection only and that we leave him out during our exterior actions, considering that we want to benefit of his presence only through the love that we feel in our hearts during prayer, without any other adoration for him through other external modalities, or if we consider that only the contrary is true, then we are obstructing our work on the long way towards the truth, and we set ourselves for a pitiful failure. Ramakrishna again, when performed without attachment, the action becomes an easy way to obtain the real goal in life which is communion with God. Ramakrishna says, when performed without attachment, the action becomes an easy way. It is one of the reasons for which I advise people to become yoga teachers. At least if you don't want to do any other yoga, karma yoga, do the karma yoga of teaching yoga. That's special. It's privileged. The exceptional. But do something. Action is an easy way, says Ramakrishna, who is... No, he is not distorting realities. Vivekananda again, through detached activity, the human being can easily get where Buddha, God, only through meditation, and Jesus through love and prayers. Therefore, the clear, the clear point is made. Mananda Mai, he who practices karma yoga will realize quite quickly Brahman, the Supreme, as absolute consciousness, and will receive the grace of the Divine Mother. Swami Ramdas, says and he was a bhakti yogi he says without ceasing the activity at all but acting completely detached we can easily obtain the supreme state of beatitude and enlightenment Swami Brahmananda one of the disciples of Ramakrishna we can obtain the supreme knowledge even if we only persistently participate in various activities consecrated to the divine in his book monastic disciplines Ramana Maharishi who was a great meditator and the very puritanic and pure yogi, he says, like his lineage was more jnana yoga, he says, action free of desire with a total detachment from its fruits is superior to the knowledge combined with practice. The state in which the performance of the action is free of desire is the way which easily leads towards enlightenment. Easily leads towards enlightenment. That is why doing karma yoga I gave you a few quotes from some of the biggest luminaries of India who are aware of the Karma Yoga thing. That's why doing Karma Yoga is not inferior in any way. There are people who think if I stay and meditate, then maybe it's better than if I do Karma Yoga. Ultimately, I would say, yes, do your meditation. Are you going to do 16 hours of meditation per day? No. So then some Karma Yoga is anyway there because you live. It's your life. What you do is making a difference and it's very important to remember this to renounce the fruits of action that's why receiving thanks is a challenge for the ego even jesus when he speaks about fasting as an act of austerity as a spiritual practice he says if you fast and you let other people know that you fast the other people are going to praise you because how good you are that you fast what a dedicated yogi you are because he didn't forget to fast and then jesus says that's all the reward you are going to get from that fasting you get paid through your years because people praise you and if you are a silly person you just get so happy that people are having a good impression about you but jesus says if you hide it he says anoint your hair with oil dress nicely don't look like a ghost and don't tell to anybody you are fasting And if people are asking you, what are you, You just say, oh, I'm a glutton. I keep eating all the time and so on. Don't even say, even lie about it. Dissimulate it. And then people will have a bad opinion about you and God will give you a secret reward. So Jesus says, expecting for thanks, for acknowledgement, it's a challenge of the ego. That's why expecting thanks in karma yoga Expecting that somebody should constantly pamper you because you did karma yoga is a failure, ultimately. It just nourishes the ego, ultimately. And the real karma yogis, I've known people doing real selfless service. They, uh, they were considering gratitude, the gratitude of the others, like an enemy. Like the worst temptation of the devil, you know, that something is trying to inflate their ego. And they're running away they're running away preferring to be unknown preferring to be alone I remember my first spiritual teacher was a very old man a superb example of spirituality I was too young and too stupid in those days and I hadn't seen everything I didn't value this guru of mine well enough I could have obtained much more from him I could have learned much more. But I was a young man passionate of parapsychology. And I wanted to see people levitating and moving objects with their fingers or with their eyes. I was more in search of the spectacular in yoga. While this old man was spectacularly spiritual, but not spectacular in a rude way. And I remember at some point I asked this old man to give a blessing to somebody who was 300 kilometers away to pray for them, and I gave him a photo. And he prayed, and he even made some mudras, some gestures. He was gesticulating, and I could see he was so absorbed, and I didn't realize how strong his prayer a parenthesis until a, a few months later, my friend took a photo of him in prayer, and his crown chakra appeared visible on the photo. There appeared a halo of light on the photo, and that photo was not tricked because we made it. We made it with our own camera and we processed it in our laboratory. And on two photos, you could see energy in the crown chakra clearly. Like he had a blaze of white light in his crown chakra. So this man was amazing in his prayer. And then when we asked the other person, the other person was also a yogi, person who had received the blessing. And he said, oh, I felt it so good. I actually didn't know what was happening at that hour because it was like a rush. It was like a wave on me. And then later, a couple of months later, we went back to the other city and we met with the old man. And we told him, you know, our friend really could feel, and he was very grateful. And he said, what? And I said, you remember we asked you to pray for this man. And he said, I don't remember. He he could remember. He spoke, I don't know how many foreign languages, including Latin and ancient Greek and all sorts of cryptical languages. And he could translate and do, like, he had a memory. He could quote from memory from all the philosophers of antiquity. This man was like a walking library. You know? And then we're saying, thank you for that. And he said, what? Like, there is nothing to thank me about. And we insisted, foolishly. You know, it's like, but you, you remember we gave you a photo. And, you then, and eventually he shook his head and he said, I don't remember. And we knew for sure that he remembered. But he didn't. He didn't want any acknowledgment he didn't want any gratitude he didn't want to say oh how good you've been your prayer is actually working somebody could feel it he was beyond this he did not expect a reward for it that's the that's the function of it you know the great gurus are always grateful to those who do karma yoga but if they give them any spe- special treatment for doing karma yoga Then they destroy their achievement because karma yoga is not done so that somebody should have a special seat you know imagine that one of you is doing karma yoga and then i'm preparing a special pillow i'm asking the events manager please prepare a pillow and write on that pillow walter or there is a walter in the school so i guess we'll have to for this season we'll have to change it to oscar hope there is no oscar no so you know write on it oscar That's actually destroying the karma yoga of that person, especially because you want to give something special. And in this way, you discharge. That karma yoga would go in Sahasrara. You don't want it to go into a pillow, into a favoritism, into a favorite position in a place. Therefore, uh, you need to understand... all these things there's so much to say about karma yoga and uh, I uh, agreed to make a lecture some people from the school asked for it and I agreed to make an additional teaching an additional satsang a discourse about karma yoga because I can see that the spirit of karma yoga is also eroding some of you have not known many of you don't know this school how it was 10 years ago or more when this school was just a gathering of about 20 people doing yoga and studying yoga and um, basically everybody had to fend for themselves it was like Agama was not having its own yoga halls or anything like this it was a much smaller thing it took many years to make Agama be what it is today and at that time you know, people were doing lots of karma yoga because there was no other thing. Like, I was not capable to go to sala three times per week and photocopy all the yoga courses, the papers, the handouts, which are necessary. Today, you are all of you getting handouts in many parallel groups and courses and workshops and this. Very few of you realize that there is a whole industry behind this. And not one person, but several persons have to focus and get this done right. This, in 10 years ago, it was done exclusively by karma yogis. Like people were spending their own gasoline and their own time and they were going to sala, and they were finding the photocopy person and they were photocopying and okay, they didn't pay for the photocopies because at least this much could be done by the courses, by the tiny little school which existed in those times. What I'm trying to say is That as I was talking with various people in the school, I remember even with the previous general manager of the school, Reiner, we were talking about this, that ever since we decided to make yoga more efficient, like now we are teaching to 120 people instead of 20 people, and in a certain way I'm happy about that because I have greater exposure. You know, I'm shouting my truth from the rooftops, there are more people listening to this truth which I'm shouting to. And I'm using my time more efficiently on the face of this earth. And therefore, it is satisfactory for me as a teacher to know that I have increased my the reach of my message. But on the other hand, there have been a lot of other collateral phenomena happening. And one of them is exactly this. Because now people see that uh, Agama Yoga has holes and... Uh, Uh, microphone wireless microphones and other things which 10 years ago were not even there um, then people automatically think that they have a more business like relationship with yoga with me as their teacher with agama as a school and the spirit of karma yoga is slowly slowly eroding because people are thinking in a utilitarian way and they think why do i need to help agama by wiping the board or by Sweeping the floor when Agama can afford to pay some poor Burmese people and give them a bread to eat and a job to unfold. That's not the spirit. You could actually sweep the floor once more completely unnecessarily after the Burmese people did it simply because you want to do some Karma Yoga. It's like that's not the point. People are thinking in utilitarian ways and then the Karma Yoga becomes like useless. But remember that the karma yoga in a certain way, through its very nature, is meant to be useless because you are giving up the fruits of the action. You are not doing karma yoga so that this or that can happen. That's of no, not of your concern. That's a misunderstanding of karma yoga. Karma yoga is done, as Krishna says, indifferent to victory or defeat. You have to do it anyway. So it doesn't matter if it will succeed or not. doesn't matter if it's useful or not. If it's the right thing according to Yama and Niyama, if it's the right thing according to your spiritual norms, then it's Karma Yoga anyway. Thus, indeed, I have to confirm that in a certain way, we are, by making Agama being stronger and more organized, we are actually pulling the carpet from under your feet. Because we are taking away the marvelous opportunity for you to do Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga is not something which you do for me. As you can see, Agama as a school can manage. We can hire a manager and we can make it work as a machinery. Good for Agama that it can work. That's not the purpose of Karma Yoga. Karma Yoga is not something which is done in a utilitarian way. Because Agama needs me for it. Karma Yoga is something which is done because I'm getting bored in my bungalow. And I want to do something which will make a difference. I'm burning. I'm quivering with enthusiasm to do something. I want my life to flow in a way. Try to think. They have been here. We have in the school people now who have been here in Thailand. And before when I was in Rishikesh in India. They have been with the school for more than 10 years. You can say many of these people gave the best years of their life or a number of years of their life to Agama. And meanwhile, what happened? They could have written 10 books in this time. They could have done a million dollars in this time. They could have done this or that. They could have achieved a lot of things. They could have raised a child in this time. And they gave all this time and activity to their yoga environment and so on. If these people would have spent with me 10 years here in Thailand just poking their nose all day long and not doing anything, they would have gone crazy. I think today they would feel suicidal and it's like, what have I done with my life? I just stayed there around this guy trying to suck as many yoga techniques and mantra initiations as possible. I participated to as many workshops and lectures sucking and sucking and sucking. I paid my money for all of it. But for the rest, what did I do? What is my part in sailing this boat, in doing this project of Tantric Yoga to the whole world and so on? What's really my part? What have I done into it? And then if the answer is nothing, then it becomes pretty empty. It becomes pretty hollow. It becomes pretty disappointing. Like everybody wants to be part of something. I, want to, I wanted to do this because I realized that by organizing agama, we are eroding your enthusiasm for karma yoga. And I want to tell you, do not erode your enthusiasm for karma yoga. Do something because the clock is ticking. Your life is passing. And besides the fact that you work and put some bread on your table and all that, you also need to do something from your heart, from your soul, something in which you believe something which you think that will make a difference. If it so happens that agama is not the thing which you think can make a difference and it's great or something, then at least somewhere else. But still, you need to have some enthusiastic activity which comes from the heart and which is truly karma yoga, which is not rewarded, which is not, You are not receiving praise for your ego. You are not receiving anything for it. It is like your commitment to your higher self, your commitment to the divine. I could say so many other things, but I'm going to conclude reminding that the essence of karma yoga always remains the process of consecration. It's very, very hard to presume that somebody will do spontaneous karma yoga, unconscious karma yoga. Because karma yoga contains a motivation in it. And because it contains a motivation, it contains a consecration. That's why I, in Agama here, I always tell to people, whenever you feel insecure that you are not doing something in the spirit of karma yoga, you should always consecrate. Consecration is a very important thing and it can be a formal consecration it can be a sort of automatic consecration if you work a lot on sahasrara and you say this is for god this is for god this is for god or if you want in a buddhist way this is for the buddhas of the past present and future or this is for the dharma buddha and sangha or whatever um, there needs to be a consecration And this consecration, you know, you you do consecration of the day, consecration of the night, consecration sometimes of the meals or of the process of eating, consecration of all important actions. Sometimes you are involved in unexpected actions. You save somebody on the street who fell in a motorbike accident and before you take them to the hospital, there was no time to consecrate. Then, of course, when you finish, you can do a subsequent consecration you say I did this out of haste because speed was of the essence time was of the essence but now it's time for me to stop and do the consecration because now I have time and thus um, I would like to encourage you not to forget about consecration to do many consecrations and remember you are not consecrating always the action but you have to always be important to think which are the fruits of the action. What do I want to consecrate? Like I want to do some yoga, so I develop some hypnotic powers. But is it really the path of my soul to develop some hypnotic powers? Then I consecrate. I'm simply saying I give my sadhana, my practice to God, and if God wants me to get hypnotic powers, let me get them. And if not, let all this sadhana and all this effort go into something else because actually maybe I need more compassion. Maybe I need more lucidity in my crown chakra. Maybe I need more forgiveness. Maybe I need other things. And because of that, therefore, consecration is very important to, to think always which are the fruits of this action to which I may be attached. Like, I want the fruits of this action at all costs. But am I ready to be so generous as to give them to God and surrender? And simply say, well, maybe I get it, maybe not. Let's see what the higher consciousness decides. That's why we do not always understand the fruits of the action and what comes out of consecration, because we don't see the big picture In space and in time sometimes we think we need something but God thinks we need something else that's why we need to play this game and a great yogi also said that you know if you do consecration sometimes there is especially if it's a long-running action you need to keep that state of mind often because sometimes people do a consecration and they rely only on its magic power, like I did my consecration and that's it. And then three hours later, they are in some job somewhere and they find themselves shouting, angry, stressed out, No, And they say, hey, what the heck, I did the consecration. I would not like to say that the consecration which you did is not having an effect because it has its magic. But if you want the consecration to work for you as a karma yoga, as a spiritual process, you have to renew it from time to time. You have to keep an eye on yourself and to see, like, right now I'm losing my state of consciousness. Right now I'm falling and I start going in my ego. And, of course, the karmic fruits are consecrated. So even if I go in my ego, things will happen just the way the Divine Consciousness wants them to happen anyway, even if my ego gets frustrated. But if I keep that state of consciousness, then I'm going to participate consciously. I'm going to see, I'm going to understand, I'm going to have a certain peace of mind and a certain integration which makes me understand that. That's why never forget that consecration allows miracles to happen by a sort of divine possession. When you consecrate, you are possessed by God. You are possessed by the Buddhas of the past, present, and future. And because of that, And it's not a. I'm not using it in a pejorative or negative way. That's why um, it is very important to do consecration. Many, many things will happen. This school has been done with a lot of consecration, every time at every level, and for the time being, as you can see, it succeeds. Even sometimes people wonder how did this work, why didn't other people do the same thing, and so on, and for me the answer is always in the consecration and other most of the things which I have done in this respect is due to consecration so I want to conclude this musing this thoughts of mine about karma yoga the situation of karma yoga here in Agama in present days and what needs to be done by encouraging you to think about it, the fact that you have an active life. And okay, I agree, there are people who are coming from a job, they worked in the corporate world or whatever, somewhere in... They come here, they participate to the first level intensive. They don't know what yoga is all about. You cannot expect these people to take radical decisions about their life. They still open their eyes. Maybe they need three months, maybe they need six months of yoga practice of their chakras and channels opening so that they start feeling energies, they start having exquisite experiences, they start going deeper in their meditation, and then their understanding opens, their heart is opening, they may have a moment of awakening of their soul, and then they have a much deeper understanding, and then they can be committed. But even when you are not at the level of taking black and white radical big decisions with what i want to do in my life remember that everybody wants to make a difference everybody wants to do something which is significant and which is beneficial and krishna talking from the position of god himself in the bhagavad-gita he says to me give me the tiniest offer give me a leaf or a flower give me something And in this way, I can get back to you, I can reward you, I can be with you, I can be present with you. Karma Yoga is a way of inviting God in your life, in your body, in your person. It's a way of sacralizing life itself, the body, the daily life. That's why everybody should consider, like if I, if you sum up your time, what you've done 10 years from now, you will want to see something. In that list which made sense something which made a difference something which was part of an enthusiastic effort the problem is of course when you cannot get enthusiastic then it's like Einstein said you know if you cannot get enthusiastic you are psychologically spiritually dead because a man of heart a man of spirit or a woman when they hear about the good great things there is An enthusiast, there is a thrill, there is something. My friend Sahajananda calls it the tremor of the heart. There is like a tremor in the heart. You vibrate and then you feel like, wahoo, you know, this is desirable. This is to be done. This is the right thing. Many people, when they come to yoga, they come to me spontaneously and they say, Swami, it's for the first time in my life that I feel that I'm doing the right thing. Like, how can it be that some people can allow a lifetime to pass and they don't have, they never really had the feeling that they were doing the right thing. And now they have the feeling that, you know, this is right. I'm doing something meaningful. That's why for your own souls, for your own evolution, for your own prosperity in spirituality, do karma yoga. Don't think in cynical ways that... uh, Agama doesn't need it, because even if Agama doesn't need it from a financial standpoint, nevertheless, you need it, and this environment of Karma Yoga is an environment of brotherliness. It's an environment, it's a brotherhood of spirituality, a sisterhood, of course, as well, and uh, that is why it's good for you to do. I remember when I read first time the practice of yoga of Swami Shivananda there he was being a Virgo and very very meticulous he was even he noticed that people sometimes are chaotic in their practice and he made a table like you should photocopy this table you should make a table like this and every day check the boxes you know like what have I done today how many minutes of Hatha yoga have you done today how many minutes of pranayama have you done today how many minutes of meditation have you done today and one of the boxes he had about 30 activities there One of the boxes was inevitably, how much karma yoga have you done today? What was your karma yoga for today? He considered karma yoga as a part of the spiritual life. Like if you are doing yoga, if you are doing spirituality, you do. I was trying to advise. I remember I was a bit candid a few years ago and I started noticing a trend like this and we even, the people who have been in the school, seven, eight years ago, you even, we even remember, I, would, uh, I was advising the pupils of the school from the fourth level and up, it was even put in their papers, like you guys do whatever you do, but do 30 minutes of karma yoga per day. 30 minutes, not more, but do 30 minutes of karma. And people were trying to do like six, seven hours, I'm sorry, six, seven sessions, like like three, four hours of karma yoga every week so that they could have 30 minutes of karma yoga per day. You no, know, it was like almost like a spiritual advice, like follow the advice of Swami Shivananda, you know, do some karma yoga every day. And in this way, I cannot underestimate the importance of karma yoga in the lifestyle that we have in the century where we live. In the way you study yoga, karma yoga is not non negotiable, it's simply a necessity of life. That's why I meditate and find out when, how, you want to do some karma yoga in this life so you can look back at your time spent with spirituality and you see that you have done something so that the wheel is moving. Sometimes you can be busy. No, you are in a retreat. You are busy eight hours per day. Then your karma yoga is your retreat. You are giving an intensive of practice and you know for eight days I'm just deepening myself into meditation and even there i met people who did retreats they did 10 hours per day and then they did some karma yoga i remember having seen a broadcasting made from a buddhist monastery from japan a zen monastery where the youngest monk in the monastery not only that he was doing the meditation program with all the others who were sleeping like five hours per night but he also because he was the junior He was asked to do all the chores in the monastery. He was the one who woke up first in the morning and the one who went to bed late last in the night. This poor dude, he was sleeping like three hours per night. And for the rest, he did meditation and karma yoga. And he was living in a monastery and he did more than 10 hours of practice per day. And still besides that practice, tons of karma yoga. That's why in the spiritual life, karma yoga is a constant presence unless again you live alone isolated somewhere then your karma yoga becomes another kind of telepathic influence that you send to the planet earth but rare are the men and women who live alone in the desert or in caves or in hermitages like this that's why karma yoga remains one of our priorities enough for tonight think about how Karma Yoga blends with your life, how your life is a Karma Yoga, especially those of you who have more clarity about your goals in spirituality. For the others, just consider it because you haven't taken major decisions and it is right that it is so for you right now. But remember that Karma Yoga is always an opportunity because the clock is ticking and the hours and the days and the months and the years which are passing they are never coming back. And you want to look back at those months and, so on and say, even in that month when I was doing this, I also did some karma yoga. I constantly wanted to do something significant for God, for people, for yoga, for my ideals, for my soul, depending in which way you are formulating it in your internal world. Enough of this. As I said, I'm starting with a few subjects and another subject which I want to come up with is talking a little bit about the use, the role of the heart chakra that I will do next week uh, in the next satsang because sometimes the modern spirituality is very defective in terms of the heart chakra and the heart chakra um, needs to be cultivated for a happy spirituality for a spirituality that has in it myrrh, that has in it this grace of God, which is like anointing our souls with a balm of happiness. Enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining the satsang. Namaste to all of you. And if everything goes all right, we'll meet again for satsang one week from now. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com downloads.